Hey, I gotta tell you guys about something, and I'm really excited to talk about this because I got a brand new front door lock. And it's not just any lock, it's a Eufy video lock. You might be thinking, what's the big deal, Chael? Well, okay, I'm gonna tell you. First off, it is sleek. I mean, it's a very big deal. My father used to build houses. My whole life, I've known how important curb appeal is. I used to be in real estate. When I show somebody a house, the front door is the very first thing you see. This thing is a piece of art. It truly is, and it's such a good looking piece of hardware. It instantly upgraded my front door. I was excited about the functionality. So not only do I get an instant makeover with a piece of art, you now have a different level of protection. It's a smart lock. It's got a 2K camera with audio and doorbell all in one. Most competitors are either just a camera or a smart lock. The Eufy Video Lock has both plus a doorbell and it can all be controlled via an app, which makes things so convenient. I hate when I hear the doorbell ring and I'm comfortable inside. I gotta get up, go to the door, just to find out it's a delivery man who dropped the package and is already long gone. The Eufy Video Lock now allows me to avoid all of that. I can just peek at the app. I can even talk to him or hear him talk back to me. Also, my wife and I travel a lot. It's an added level of security at my front door and it makes me feel a little bit more at ease. It was very easy to install. No, there are no monthly fees for the security video storage. The battery is rechargeable and each charge lasts about four months. The Eufy Lock is fantastic and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. Do that by going to Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you gain complete control of your door. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's happening guys? Happy Wednesday and thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome. I'll tell you it was a crazy weekend in combat sports. On today's show, I'm going to talk about it. Who's next for Izzy Adesanya? I'll tell you and I'll look ahead to Saturday's UFC 261. But first, let's begin with the news of the weekend. Jake Paul beating Ben Askren. I thought that as far as the contest went, and you have to understand one thing about Jake Paul, and it's very hard to accept. It's very hard to accept that nerd's a tough guy. Right? I mean, that he's he's rough. His brother is too, and I know there's a pushback. I know there is. I'm not saying they're good fighters. Hold that thought. Because he's 24 years old as it regards uh, to Jake. He might become one. I understand for now he's not a very good fighter. I'm speaking to something different, which is a toughness. He is a rough guy at heart. I saw an interview with his father. And I figured his father would be a dork like he and his brother are. 
because what I was told is it was the father that got them into the YouTube and the acting like weirdos and, and the doing the whole bit, right? Which was good for entertainment. I'm not just here insulting him. There was a real positive side. He just would go in the, the column of dorky. When I saw the interview with the father, the father's a roughneck. I didn't know that. Not at all what I would have thought. And when I did see that interview, and Uriah Faber shared it to me, he said, Chael, I really think you should see this. And it was a day or so before the fight. And when I saw it, I saw what Uriah saw, which is, these guys are tough. They were grown up tough. They know about hard work. They know about goal setting. And they will do whatever it takes to achieve that goal. And even in the avenue of YouTube, which is what we're choosing to tease them for, right? You're coming from a guy, teasing a guy for being on YouTube, who's got a YouTube channel, okay? So, I mean, you have to understand, I feel as though it's okay for me to attack them when I'm attacking myself at the same time, but it's, it's one of these things where they're not authentic, they were not real, they were goofy, and whoever gave them ideas and wherever that comes in from inside is generally somebody pretty weak. Well, that's not the case. This was somebody pretty clever. This was somebody pretty creative. This was somebody who had a goal and saw the best way to get there and then executed. And you will be told your entire life, million dollar idea. Have you ever heard that? Oh, that's a million dollar idea. There's no such thing. Ideas are everywhere and they're worth nothing. It's all in the execution. So I'm tying this in because the Pauls showed an ability to execute. This is goal setting 101. You set a goal that's a dream. It's so far out there. It's this wonderful dream. But then you set little goals along the way of what do I need to do to achieve it? I bring this to you because when I saw the interview with the father, I saw a tough guy who raised some tough kids and followed the basic rules of setting a goal and doing whatever it takes to achieve it. Uriah sent this to me. He didn't say anything. He sent this to me in text and he didn't say anything, but he didn't need to. All Faber told me is, Chael, I think you should see this. I watched it. I know why he sent it to me. Now, and I tell you this, and I give you this backstory because I know it pains you to have to compliment the Paul brothers. Look, they're tough guys. And as far as saying that Logan sucks at boxing, he sucks at boxing in comparison to other main event fighters. He's the worst boxer ever to do this record number of pay-per-views. But he's still a young man that's got a goal who's a proven success. And he's proven to be successful because he will do whatever it takes to get there. Big goal, steps to get there. He's proven it. I offer you that because I'm not ready to say he won't be a good boxer. He's far too old to believably think that he's going to be a great boxer. Does he need to be? I mean, in all fairness, does he need to be, guys? We talk about it all the time. Quit focusing on the ranking. Focus on the placement of the card. Who cares what he's ranked? He's a main event fighter. I know that pains you. I know that comes with a level of jealousy because I feel it inside too. He found a workaround, but he still succeeded and he still did it. And there's something to be studied here. I don't see him calling for easy fights. This isn't a, a gimmick where he's out calling out and then X, Y, and Z. He's calling out Olympians, Hod Trophies winner. Ben Askren won two world championships. You can talk about that's not boxing all you want. He called out a, a straight-up badass, period. And in the meanwhile, in the process of calling out said badass, he called out Dylan Dennis, who I may need to remind for you is undefeated in unarmed combat. Not for nothing. Paul's a tough guy.
And I can see his skills growing. The fact that I can see his skills growing speak to the fact that he isn't very good. It's very hard by example. If I was to roll the tape back and show you a video of Floyd Mayweather eight years ago and another one that was four years ago and another one that was his most recent fight, you're not going to see a lot of growth there. That's not an insult to Floyd. It speaks to the idea that he's a pretty finished product and has been for well over two decades. Paul, you're seeing the improvements, which is a compliment because it means he's in the gym. It also means no matter what he's saying, he knows inside, I have room to get better. But we can see actively that he is pursuing that. So where does he go from here? We're going to find out. But he deserves a level of credit. He knew what he was getting into. He knows that Askren won 18 fights, won two championships in different weight classes, plus everything he did in the sport of wrestling at yet another weight class. Right? I mean, he knew what he was getting into. But he believed in himself, he believed in his training, he let his hands go. There was not a paralysis by analysis where he got in there and froze up, or there was pressure in the big moment. We just didn't see those things. And those are signs of a tough guy. Not of a good athlete or somebody that's in the moment. Those are tough guy traits. Paul's a tough guy. He's a tough guy. As far as the fight went, it was very, very elementary. Couple of jabs, change elevation straight to the body. Great straight, by the way. Most powerful shot that that he threw was not the knockout punch. It was the body shot just prior to the knockout punch, which is relevant. Because he changed elevation and threw one, moved around, changed elevation, threw a second one, moved around, changed elevation, popped back up and hit him in the head. He set it up though. Paul told a story during the fight. He told a story to his opponent. The story is, I changed elevation and I dig to the body well. When he saw that his opponent was starting to follow and believe in the story, that's where the setup came that's where he tricked him, just came up, boom, right over the top, hit him in the head. Askren could have taken that shot to the head if his hands were where they were supposed to be. But instead, Askren was told a story. The story was when he changes elevation, he goes low. So next time he changes elevation, I need to get my hands low to protect the shot. That's why it was open. And I only bring that to you because that's a veteran move. It's a very basic trick. It's very simple. To do a basic trick that I'm calling simple in the main event of a major watch pay-per-view when you've had two chances in here and your opponent is a former world champion. It's hard to do. But a fight is a dance in that only one person can lead at a time. So if this person's telling me their story, then, then I don't get to tell them mine. I have to take charge. I have to lead the dance. I have to be the storyteller. I have to be the one making you believe where we're going. You're reacting to me, but it's a dance. They both can't take charge. I think that later in the contest, it would have been Askren, uh, heavily. I, but that's because the conditioning would have come in. That's because the competitive factor would have come in. We didn't get to see any competition here. We didn't have to see anybody with grit or anybody dig deep. Because Paul came out and he took charge, and he deserves credit for that. Big question coming out of this boxing match. Who's next for Jake Paul? I mean, it's very stunning the state that we're in that we're discussing who Paul is going to to fight next as though these are fights that he's done in the first place. But when the guy's a main event, oh, and by the way, come hook or crook, is winning. 
you can only dismiss him so long. There's going to be a spectacle. There's going to be a match. And Paul is the one guy who's made boxing interesting. Right, we got Fury and Joshua discussing what hotels they're going to stay at. That is the headlines that you're hearing from these two idiots. What venue are you going to get in? What are the rules? Is there going to be horsehair in the gloves? Right, you have idiots that can't decide on simple things for the most unsophisticated sport in the known to mankind. But these are the talks that you have. Paul, meanwhile, goes and sets up a show, brings in some buddies to entertain, and goes out of boxes. I mean, right, he deserves a level of credit. So who's he going to fight? And I bring this to you to stop everything because I keep getting brought up. And you're going to run into guys like me who become a problem. Where even if you could draw and sell and have a level of interest, I'm too big. I would look like a fool going after Paul. I mean, in all fairness, I would look like a fool. Paul keeps choosing to fight guys who don't respect their career enough to stick a needle in their ass every now and then. He's not going to have that problem with me. I'm going to have the same secrets that Paul has. But I have to take myself and other guys. Right, I'm a broad stroke. You have to take guys like me off the board. We would be embarrassed to go out there. We would be embarrassed to bounce around and do these things. We would also be very insulted if there was ever a question, right? If I ever got that question, Chael, could you beat Paul? I've never been asked that, but I can't imagine that I would. And if I was ever, I would be greatly insulted. It's one of those things. So who, who do you go after? And I thought that Helwani made a great point as it pertains to Paul. Helwani came out and said he has proven that he can do this. The question is, who's he going to go up against next? And Ariel maintains that it needs to be against an actual boxer. I think there's some truth to that. The problem with the boxers is it's, it's a spectacle when you're dealing with Paul. There has to be a level of interest. There has to be somebody who's interesting. And that's something that the boxers don't get. And the boxers will always think being interesting comes out to insult. And then when somebody else insults them, they start insulting a little bit louder. And then when somebody insults louder with them, they then begin cursing. Uh, and then when the cursing doesn't work, then they get face-to-face. -face some It's just weird, man. There's so many different ways to be interesting, but nobody has brought that into boxing. Tyson Fury represents none of the things that I just said, and he's the most interesting character in boxing. Just to prove my point. But when you're dealing with the boxers, you're dealing with a level of sophistication that just doesn't exist, and they can't get advice from anybody because their own team lacks said sophistication. The same reasons that you're not going to see me fighting Paul is the same reasons you're not going to see Paul fighting Oscar. Oscar needs somebody to fight, but size is a very big deal to Oscar. Even in his drugged-up state that was his commentary Saturday night, where the number one verb of his vocabulary was baby. Oscar was working baby like Eddie Murphy 1980s used to work the F word. It was very tough to listen to Eddie's stand-up, as funny as he was and as big of a star as he was at the time because it was the F word every two and three words. Oscar was doing that with baby, baby. He couldn't, baby, he couldn't say a word, baby, without saying baby, baby. I mean, whatever drugs he was on, right? So it's one of these things. If you're Paul and you're going, hey, wait a minute, I am at least taking this sport serious and I do have a lot of young kids around me. I can't get in there with a guy that was coked up two days. I just can't do it. He's already a little smaller than me. He's old enough to be a relic in a museum. And he's on drugs right now. Right? I'm in here training. I'm in here fighting. That guy's snorting blow. It's just a tough sell. So even though an Oscar who is thirsty and hungry and looking for a fight, it's still tough if you're Paul. If you're going, man, first off, I'm bigger than you. I'm literally half your age and I'm sober, right? It's just a tough sell. 
And I think that's where you start to get the Dylan Danises of the world. Now, Dylan Danis has every right to go and fight Jake Paul. That fight must happen. For what Paul did to Dylan when Dylan was just minding his own business, rehabbing a knee injury, and trying to do a media spot with Brendan Schaub, Dylan has the right to fight him, but that still, that pertains Coker. And I spoke to Coker about this, and I got a very non-definite answer, but I can tell you Scott wasn't against it. He was not hands down no. I, I bring Coker in it because Dylan Dennis is under contract with Coker as his promoter. Coker also made it clear I need to be presented with something to see how we fit into this. So Coker's, without using the words, what I interpret him from Scott is, if there is a co-promote opportunity, you want to bring your guy and I'll bring mine guy and we can all work together, feel free to stop by my office. You're going to have that same kind of a reaction from Dana White if you go and pick a UFC guy. Dana is very unlikely to let that go, but if you come at him right, which is organized from the jump, don't ever ask him, can I just have your guy? Come to him openly and say, here's your involvement, here's mine, here's what the plan is, what do you think? And most guys don't come at Dana proper. They come in hoping to get something for nothing. You've now lost the respect of Dana and the deal's just dead. He's not going to take your phone call in the future. So if you have something you want to present to Dana where he gets to participate, since you're asking him for his guy, show a level of respect to the history of the business, understand how co-promote works, and have a feasible working plan, then you might be able to get a conversation with Dana, which would open things up. If you were to take a current MMA guy who doesn't focus on boxing, but they're current... They're in shape. They're a sharp athlete. I think that that story is probably what you're going to need for Paul. You don't want to bring in a pure boxer or even a good boxer. But you do want to bring in a tough guy that has a level of interest. And I think now that Paul has shown us that he takes this seriously and that he wants a serious opponent, but of equal talent. I caught, I caught one Paul interview... It was on TMZ, but I appreciate it because Paul said, give me a worthy opponent. Now, if he would have stopped right there, we'd all be rolling our eyes, a worthy opponent. You're terrible at this. But he went and said that. He said it in a very macho way. He said, give me a worthy opponent. Don't give me a world champion because I'm not a world champion. But don't give me somebody that's never done it isn't going to take this seriously. Give me somebody like me who's got a dream, is willing to get in the gym, who's willing to work hard and go out and contest this under the rules and live with the result. And I always appreciated that in Paul. I always appreciated that interview. But I think that Ariel does make a fair point, which is Paul is going to need somebody who does know what they're doing. The idea of the spoof or of the NBA guy or of the rapper over here, I think we've seen that Paul is a little bit better than any of that. We've also seen that he's not a top boxer, even by amateur standards, right? The Olympic Games are in five months. There's a reason Paul isn't trying out for the team, even by amateur standards. He's limited. But that doesn't mean he isn't drawing. It doesn't mean he isn't tough. And it doesn't mean he isn't getting better. I'm seeing some real positives from this nerd. And at 24 years old, if he doesn't have the same habits that Oscar does, or the other guys within this space, if he can be the shining light, I think he can do some real positivity. He's with Triller. Triller's a bunch of scumbags, it appears. But if Paul can work around that, sharpen up the show, make it a little bit cleaner, add a little bit of respect back, not only will they do the 1.5 in paper, they'll do bigger, and they're going to do better. And I think that my partner, Errol Hawani, makes a very fair point. 
in saying that. Coming up in a moment, I'm going to talk about Robert Whitaker's impressive win and if he'll get another crack at Izzy, but first, a word about one of our sponsors. Masvidal and Usman put on a show the last time they stepped into the octagon. This rematch is sure to pack a punch. Plus, we have the women's strawweight and flyweight titles on the line at UFC 261. Guys, this is stacked. And DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC, is putting you in the center of the weekend's title fight with 26 to 1 odds on either title contender to reign victorious. Pick either main event fighter to win during this weekend's UFC 261 title fight and DraftKings Sportsbook will give you 26 to 1 odds. Just bet $5 on either fighter to win and if they walk out with the belt, you will cash in $130. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't worry if MMA isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on basketball, hockey, and so much more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code CHAIL when you sign up to turn $5 into $130 if the title contender of your choice wins. Place your bet and watch the fist fly this weekend. That's code CHAIL to turn $5 into $130 if the fighter of your choosing takes home the crown. For a limited time, only a DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, West Virginia, Oregon, Pennsylvania only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, real talk here. That soap or body wash you're using, it's garbage. It's packed with harsh chemicals, synthetic detergents, ingredients we can't even pronounce, and it's brutal on your skin. If you're ready to step up your soap game to a product that is natural, great for your skin, and doesn't smell like an MMA fighter's gym bag, Dr. Squash is where it's at. Dr. Squash is changing the way men approach hygiene with their natural personal care products that make you feel like a man and smell like a champion. All of Dr. Squatch's soaps are made in the USA using the finest ingredients nature has to offer. That means natural cleansers and nourishing ingredients that are actually great for your skin. Dr. Squatch's soap come in a huge range of natural manly scents that are going to transform your shower. Whether it's their best-selling pine tar or scents like bay rum and cedar citrus, you're never going to have a boring shower again. I gotta tell you guys, I was skeptical when I was first introduced to this product. All natural ingredients, come on. It sounded a little bit hippie. 
but I ended up being pleasantly surprised with how great my skin felt after. I didn't have that weird filmy feeling on my skin and the smell was subtle and not overbearing. I really like the Grapefruit IPA. If you really want to make it easy on yourself and level up your hygiene game, subscribe to Dr. Squatch just like the hundreds of thousands of other guys out there. Every month, fresh bars of Squatch show up at your door. It's that easy. They've also got a full lineup of personal care goods like deodorant, hair care, and toothpaste. Right now, new customers can get 20% off orders of $20 or more when they go to DrSquatch.com and enter the promo code CHAIL. That's DrSquatch, Dr. S-Q-U-A-T-C-H dot com with the promo code CHAIL for 20% off orders of $20 or more. Whitaker versus Gaslam had some real problems to it. Okay, first off, Whitaker versus Gaslam was not a close fight. It was five rounds for Whitaker and none for Kelvin. However, it was extremely competitive. Kelvin Gaslam looked great. Kelvin Gaslam lost all five rounds and looked great. And we've seen this before, guys. I mean, I'll just bring it to you because we're on the, the heels of part two right now, but that's Masvidal versus Usman one. Usman, there was no question who won this fight, who was going to win this fight, who took charge of the fight, but it was a very competitive match, particularly in light of short notice. Now, I only bring that to you because there are many similarities here with Kelvin. Kelvin didn't do this on eight days and have to fly across the world, but he did it on very short notice. He had to add two rounds of conditioning and strategy and grit and heart to his game in a very short period of time, and then he went out and went tit for tat with a former world champion. I think many of you might have forgot how good Bobby Knuckles is. You might have forgot because a new shiny trinket has come to town known as Israel Adesanya. Adesanya is so damn good that I feel as though we've forgotten just how good the rest of the guys are. Maybe not as good as Adesanya, but they sure are good. And when I was watching Whitaker, so I want to disclose that, okay, in case anybody missed it, in case anybody made the bad decision of going and watching the Nerd versus the Olympian instead of this fight, I, just, I do want to tell you about it because both guys look great. They really did. And you have to understand how well Kelvin Gatslam fought if you want to give full credit to Whitaker. And Whitaker deserves full credit here. But there was one thing that stood out, and it has not been front page news, and it should be which is Whitaker, a former world champion, a current number one contender, and a future Hall of Famer, has added something to his arsenal. Rounds one and round five. Two things happened. Please don't miss it. Whitaker took down Kelvin Gaslam and kept him there. Both rounds. Now, for Whitaker, one of the great strikers the sport has ever seen, period, for Whitaker to add a takedown, oh my goodness, I must tell you guys, so hard. There's so many things that go into a takedown, understanding of wrestling, but there, there's geometry, there's algebra, there's calculus that takes place in knowing where this guy is. What's the time to change elevation, to get into the body? Where do my hands go? Where do my hips go? Where does my head go? There's a reason that kids that are good at wrestling start when they're seven and eight, nine years old. It's not something that you can go out and learn or that anybody would want to put the energy and dedication towards learning later in life. Whitaker did. So not only did Whitaker, Whitaker went for four takedowns in this fight, guys. He got three of them. Robert Whitaker, are you hearing me? Robert Whitaker, the great striker, went for four takedowns. He succeeded with three, and in rounds one and five, he kept him there.
getting a guy down and explaining the mathematics that go into understanding those positions is only one element of what you saw. Whitaker's ability to keep Kelvin there is a whole nether story. In round one, Kelvin was so surprised he got taken down, he kind of cooperated. He kind of stayed there and then just made a mental change. I'm not going to let him take me down again. But when he did get down, and down, it was totally different. Kelvin did not stay there. He realized I'm going to have to get myself to his feet. He created some real scrambles. He got away. But in round five, Kelvin did the same thing, where Kelvin put a lot of energy forward. He put a lot of effort in trying to get up, but Whitaker followed him. Whitaker stayed behind him. Whitaker got his lock. He understood where the hips are. He understood driving him back down. He understand lift the, uh, lift the hips, put the weight on the hands. These are very advanced things. And it wasn't a matter that Whitaker just got better at his wrestling. Wrestling is a positional change. It's a takedown. Once you're there, what are you going to do? Whitaker was so heavy on top. Whitaker was smothering. Whitaker was using shoulder pressure. Mackenzie Dern. Mackenzie Dern's father is called Megaton. And I even read something online how he got that name. I'm not even going to tell you what it said because it isn't true. Megaton, her father, got that nickname because he competed at 175 pounds. But when he was on top of you, he felt like a megaton. He knew how to be heavy. He knew where those pressure points were. He knew about getting on his toes. He knew about driving into his opponent, not resting a knee or an elbow on the mat. I only offer you that because Whitaker was what we call heavy on top. That is an understanding of mechanics. From a physicality standpoint, understanding where you are, where your opponent is. Whitaker was heavy. He knew what he was doing. He wasn't looking for ground and pound. He was looking for moments. He was looking to pass. He was looking for position. He had a very clear plan. These things take a lifetime of work. Whitaker's done it in two years. And I bring it to you because if we're looking forward to who is the number one contender and is it Whitaker, meaning Whitaker versus Adesanya, what is going to be different this time? Well, what's going to be different is now Adesanya has a whole other element to worry about that none of us knew existed. Even if I would have heard that Whitaker was going to think about his wrestling and his groundwork, I would not have been able to come to you guys confidently and tell you he's going to succeed because it just takes a long time. It's very hard to do. He did succeed, and he did it in a short period of time. And answering the question as to what's different does exist. Now, I do not believe that Whitaker goes right into Adesanya just because. I believe Marvin Vittori versus Adesanya is very much on the table. I also believe that Whitaker and Vittori are now in a fight. Right now. It's going to be for headlines. It's going to be for mandate of the masses. It's going to be for popularity. It's going to be for demand. But they are in a fight right now. I am also not confident at this point that the winner of the fight, the verbal fight, the posturing in the media between Marvin and Bobby Knuckles. I'm not positive that the winner of that then gets Adesanya. There is a part of me that believes Adesanya might take a step back and go, you two figure it out. I don't know what Adesanya's appetite is for rematches, but it does appear that he's going to have to do a rematch. I would think a young champion like him would like to spread it around a little bit, which is where you could have a Darren Till-style situation. I don't think Darren Till's out of the talks because Adesanya hasn't given his blessing yet. Adesanya is going to pick somebody. I'm putting myself in Adesanya's shoes. There, there's a part where I'd say, hey, Till, come on in. 
Hey, Whitaker, Vittori, you both are great, but I fought you both before. I don't really love the rematch idea, so you guys go at it. One of you gets eliminated. I'll take ever who's standing. There's a part of me that believes that that scenario is in play. Now, Vittori, with the right strategy, could have us all changing our minds by this time tomorrow. Whitaker cannot. Whitaker does not possess the skills needed to captivate the audience and to win in the media. So if it's Whitaker versus Vittori, Vittori's going to beat him. I'm just not certain that we're looking at this chessboard correctly. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Adesanya out of nowhere, out of left field, isn't going to step in and choose Till. With these two as the co-main, you guys figure it out. I'll take on the winner, or Darren will take on the winner. I think that that's a very possible scenario, and I do think at 185 is we're looking between Vittori and Whitaker, which looks like the very obvious options. I think possibly we're looking in the wrong direction. We're not going to know until we hear from Izzy. But if Izzy has a greater interest in parity than he does in redoing the same thing a second time, and in fairness, most guys do. Most guys would rather do something a first time. We have to hear from Izzy. Until then, it is game on. It is Whitaker versus Vittori in the media, and it's a game that Whitaker is not going to play, which means Vittori is going to emerge. So that was the main event on Saturday, and the co-main event, it never happened. Jakar Close, Jeremy Stevens, back up. This is one of those moments, guys, I wish it never happened. Like, if I had my wish, Genie pops out of the bottle, just take it back, it just never happened. Let me break this down in case you're a little caught off of what I'm talking about. Jeremy Stevens, your car closed, going to be the co-main event underneath Whitaker Gatslam. They go to weigh-ins. They get face-to-face. They got masks on. I trust something was said. I don't know. Jeremy Stevens gives a push to close. Now, as far as a push goes when you're face-to-face and you push a guy, this was probably the, the hardest push I've ever seen. It just was. It was just one of those things where Jeremy Stevens was able to, to generate so much energy and motion in such a, a small period. I mean, Bruce Lee, the master of the six-inch punch, would have been impressed by Jeremy Stevens. It was a heck of a push. It was still a push. And that's why I say I wish, it, I wish this hadn't happened because I don't want something bad to happen to Jeremy here. I know it was in his head. His head was, we're face-to-face. This guy says, I give a little bit of push. We built some hype. Everybody thinks we're heroes, and they turn in tomorrow night. That at least was the thought or the intent. It was not what happened, which was Jeremy hurt him. Jeremy hurt Close so badly that Close had to go to the hospital, and Close had to withdraw from the fight. Now, Close is not talking punitive damage. He is not talking legal action. He is just merely saying, whoa, whatever happened here, but I got some whiplash and I got a spinal and man, I got a little concussion. A lot of things happened here. I listened to a doctor speak on that. The doctor's point was fascinating to me because if you look at the push of Jeremy, or even if you haven't seen it, but you just heard what I said, Jeremy pushed him, you're going to go, so what? And you're going to say, so what in the vein of that push would have been the lightest by an exponential factor piece of physical contact that Close would have endured when they actually got in there under the unified rules with the cage door shut. I don't disagree with you, but the doctor weighed in and he was talking about trauma and he was talking about the ability to sustain trauma when you're not ready. When you have a traumatic incident that you're not expecting, 
That's why it can be so bad. He even compared it to a car wreck where you're locked in, you're in a seatbelt, all that happens is your head comes forward and it comes back, but you could have a lifetime of damage of it. But the reason is that you weren't expecting it. If you would have tensed up, if you would have been aware, if you would have been ready, the doctor maintained that it would be different. And you know what? From my own personal experience, I get that. That makes a level of sense. And I want to bring that out and say that because I did see something said about close and I do not like it. I want it to stop right now. That Close was being overdramatic. That Close was playing something up that Close didn't want to fight Jeremy. I went back after I watched this doctor's breakdown on Twitter. The doctor's a friend of mine. He's a surgeon out of Florida. He does a fantastic job, but of everything he said in his breakdown, the fact that he talked about the trauma happening when Close was not expecting it, it really stood out for me enough that I thought I would recap and bring it to you guys because... This was real, and I went back and I watched that. I mean, it really was an amazing amount of force that Jeremy Stevens was able to, for whatever reason, Stevens probably couldn't even tell us why that push was so effective. Close is likely very embarrassed that he had to pull out of a fight because he was pushed, but the doctor makes an excellent point, which is close, and he does. Guys, he is a whiplash. There's no way to deny it, and I'm a friend of Jeremy. I would come out and defend Jeremy while trying to just tell you what happened. And in many ways, I feel I am defending Jeremy because I would like it to be known that we're looking at what happened as opposed to the intent. We all want to be judged on our intent, not our actions, but we always judge other people on the actions, not the intent. This is one of those things that, boy, I wish it would just go away. I want close to be better. I want this to all be made up. I do not want legal action, punitive damage. I do not want sanctioning by the commission. I don't want the organization to step in. I don't think any of those things are going to have to happen if we can all as sportsmen just agree that wasn't what was supposed to happen, right? I mean, it's one of these things. I don't even know for you that Close said anything to Jeremy. I just saw Jeremy's physical reaction. I've interpreted that Close must have said something. No matter what Close said, he did not deserve that. He did not deserve whiplash. He did not deserve a concussion. Close is a victim here. And anybody that's giving him a hard time while he's dealing with something medically, not to mention miss the biggest opportunity of his short career... Not fair. Not fair. The other side is, what do you want to do with Jeremy? He didn't have any intent. And if we're going to go and we're going to look at Jeremy, what are we going to do? We're going to say this was a crime? We're going to arrest him? We're going to charge him? We're going to sanction him? Why him? Why only him? If we're going to go back and make right on every push that ever happened at a weigh-in, we're going to have to block up thousands of people. All right, there's a level of expected and a level of accepted action, both verbal and physical, when at a stare down, at a weigh-in. Taking two open hands to a guy's chest and moving in a forward motion known as a push is one of those things that happens. Sean Shelby steps in in this case, Dana White in most cases. You separate them, the teams come in, it's a great photo moment. That doesn't mean it's okay, and that doesn't mean it's allowed, and I do believe moving forward, nobody's going to touch anybody. I do believe that we just had a very teachable moment right here. I would ask that we all take a breath. Let's hear from Close. Close needed to cancel the fight. He wasn't feeling well. Close's opinion has to matter in this. And if Close comes out and says, hey, Jeremy's a, a, a POS and something terrible needs to happen to him, and my whole life is going to be different, we're going to have to listen to Close. But if Close doesn't, if he says, look, just rebook it. Something strange happened. My neck went in emotion. I'm working with a doctor, and I'm going to be okay in six weeks. Then let's listen to Close. But this is, this is one of the more confusing, in many ways one of the more disappointing, 
things that I've ever seen happen at a minimum. This has to be a teaching moment. Don't touch somebody, guys. It is not your job to go out and promote a fight at the weigh-in. You didn't bring in the cameras. You didn't bring in the media. You don't know what's going to get cut up and what clips are going to go into Sports Center. And don't be so jealous and thirsty for that that you go out and you try to create something. It's not right. It's never right in society to touch a guy. This happened in reverse effect by Paul Daly. Paul Daly fought Josh Kocek. They fought for 15 minutes. The bell rang. The fight was over. And Paul Daly threw a punch. And Dana White came out and said that's an assault. It's illegal. And he's right. The unified rules are very specific to determine times between bell and bell at the discretion and advice of the referee. I share that with you because there's always a mistake made. Well, here we are and we're fighters and this is what we do. If you are not in the cage at a designated time between bell to bell as directed by the referee, it's a crime. Paul Daly didn't get arrested, but he did get released. Babalu held on to a position after the referee said stop. He was released. Jeremy Stevens did not do anything that he believed would result in physical harm or damage. Nobody has ever pushed anybody ever at a weigh-in or any other time that I know of with an intent of physical damage. That's not what happened here. This is not the same as a Paul Daly or when the Babalu held the move. It's not the same. It was a totally different intent. But a mistake was made, and at a minimum, at an absolute minimum, let's all learn from it. And let's not, in any fashion, say anything to close other than, I hope you're doing okay. Before I head out, let's focus on the division that will take center stage on Saturday night. 170, right? Right in everybody's spotlight. Main event, crowds returning. They sold out. I want to say it was either, it was like 48 minutes. It was something crazy. All this focus going around the champion versus the BMF champion. BMF belt not being discussed. BMF title not on the line. I got a huge problem with that, but apparently Usman doesn't, right? So I got I have no standing in this matter. If Usman brought this up, I would co-sign it and I would help him to drive this home, but he didn't bring it up. So I have what's called standing. I have no standing in the matter, but apparently a champion can go fight and not have to put his belt up for grabs. Fine. Fine. I'll deal with it. Point is still the same, which is 170 pounds is right in the spotlight, right in the focus, while simultaneously being the most annoying weight class we've got. I mean, getting the competitors and getting the guys to the field, get them out of the dugout and onto the field at 170 pounds is a challenge like I've never before seen. Even if you were to look at Masvidal, Masvidal sat out. Masvidal took his ball and he sat out. Turned out he got his way. But I don't want you guys, please, to study what Masvidal did and then think this is what I need to do. Look how well it worked for him. Okay, this was a unicorn. And Masvidal, the only difference in fighting from the title or being unemployed is he got called out on ESPN by the champion. Look, if you ever get the blessing of the champion, you're going to get the fight. 
And it's very similar to what I keep talking to you guys about. As, as you're having the argument of should it be Whitaker or should it be Vittori, hold the thought on who it should be. Izzy's going to decide. Izzy is very powerful and he's very wise and people listen to him because they respect the fight that he will ask for the hardest thing possible. That's why he gets con to continue to ask. And that's why I keep letting you know, Taryn Till is not out of this conversation because Adesanya hasn't spoke up yet. But it is what happened to Usman. That's how I tie these two together. Usman came out as the champion after defeating Burns and he called for Masvidal. So Masvidal, who was sitting out in many ways being a little baby about things, everything's working out. Don't study that and think that you can get that same deal, right? And if there's anyone that you really would like to observe, particularly in the last three years, for how you reinvent and reemerge yourself later in your career, Masvidal's the guy to study. Masvidal and marketing and being the guy he is, which, by the way, is not an act, there is no character here. He just realized, wait a minute, I'm a pretty interesting guy. I might as well go in front of the cameras and let them know. Masvidal's a guy to study. But don't miss this. Do not miss how Masvidal got the title fight. Do not think that you need to sit out, that you need to make demands. Masvidal got a rare opportunity because he got the blessing of the champion. It's very important that you see that. I think that most of you do. I don't think that class is exactly in session here today. I think I just stated for you the obvious, but if you missed it, it's very important because 170 pounds, we have other guys trying to copy Masvidal. You are not Masvidal. You are not the BMF champions and you're not the biggest star in the sport. George Masvidal is the biggest star in the sport. And yes, you can honor, argue Conor McGregor and you may be right, but I think you still understand the point that I'm making. He is massive. He is worth a lot more and he has done a lot more than almost any human being has done or will ever do. And he wouldn't have gotten this shot if he hadn't got the blessing of the champion live on ESPN. I share this because if you try to copy the playbook and you wonder why you don't get the same result, the, the day that you've beat as many men as George Masvidal and the day that you've sold as many tickets as George Masvidal is likely to never come. And even George Masvidal, absent of being called out by Usman himself, would not be in the spot. Because as we look at 170 pounds, I don't want the rest of these knuckleheads that are doing something called squat on your spot, okay? A term that I heard from Errol Hawani, and didn't really like it the first time I heard a squat, squat on your spot. I didn't like it, but you know what? Get used to the vernacular. Because that's what it's being called, and it's what guys are doing, and it worked out for Masvidal, which makes me wonder, is this going to work for other guys? we got to stop it right now. We can't let this work. There has to be some kind of a qualification. There just has to be. And the one thing that mixed martial arts does not have is a competitive architecture. Now, most other sports do in the form of a bracket. Even the playoffs for the National Football League or the National Basketball Association Every event that will be contested in this summer's Olympic Games, they will all come with a bracket. Meaning here's where you are, and if you win, you advance here. You advance, you advance, you advance, until you get the finals game, and one team is the champion. We don't have that in MMA, but we shouldn't be as loose. We should not be as loose as that because there's not a competitive architecture in place, we therefore aren't going to fall or adhere to anything, including inactivity. 
Now, my thought is not fully formed. My thought is a little bit clumsy. I got a hold of the right tool, but I got it by the wrong end. It's going to require a little bit of thought, a little bit of group think, which is why I'm bringing you guys in on this. Let's get this conversation started. But you should not be able to sit out X amount of time and walk into a world title fight. Why? Because it's just not safe. In many ways, it's just not safe. Walking into a five-round atmosphere, why were you out for a period of time? And there's only a couple of reasons. You were injured. You were suspended. You were sick. There's only a few, you had retired. There's only a few reasons why you would be out over a year. But if you were to walk right in to the most dangerous spot in all of sports, a world title fight standing across from Kamara Usman, you should have to prove to some extent within some period of time that you're ready for that. We got to have some kind of system. I mean, look, even to Jake John Jones, as good as he is, but to throw him up a weight class where he's going to give up 30 pounds of muscle and expect that through sitting on his ass for 16 months, he's going to be ready. It seems irresponsible to some degree. Now, do we take it from the notion of safety? That's not the hill I want to die on. We could take it from the notion of competitiveness. We could take it from a notion, if you're not doing something, oh, and by the way, Gilbert Burns has done it three times since you've been sitting out, we got to give it to Gilbert. We could take it from any notion that you want. All I offer for you is there has to be a period of time when if you don't make that walk, you're excluded from being able to make that walk. There has to be some kind of a policy of some degree. Come in and compete with somebody. Maybe it's a three-round contest, but show us all that you can do it. And there has to be an acceptance and a demanding of this from the audience so that the fellow competitors don't go out, do absolutely everything right, but have opportunities taken away. Fair is not part of my vernacular when I tell you guys about life. Life isn't fair. I understand those things. Sport is not fair. I understand those things. You take what you can get when you can get it. I understand those things. There still needs to be something that is rewarding for your Michael Chiesas of the world who will take on anybody, for your Neil Magnes of the world, for your Hamzat Chamayev of the world who are willing to do this without resistance, willfully, and who has the attitude of, I don't have to do this, I get to do this. And one step beyond that, it's not I get to do this, it's I want to do this. There has to be a level of that. And we would demand it and expect it from any other sport except this one. But it's always our fans and our practitioners that are so quick to try to compare ourselves to other sports. They love to do that when they can have their hand out. They don't ever want to compare themselves to other sports when it has to do with the fact that Tom Brady will step on the field against absolutely anybody on any given Sunday. Well, no, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do anything that's hard or that's trying or that is risk-taking. But we want to do everything else. And by the way, add a zero to it and set it in my palm right here. Right? I mean, it's one of these things where there has to be a level of expectation. And as we're looking at 170 pounds and why it all worked out for Masvidal. And in fairness, what's the other side of this coin, guys? Good thing it did. That's the fight we want to see. It isn't just Masvidal held out like a baby to get his way. Masvidal held up, but now we all get our way. 
I get excited on Masvidal fight week. There's something to see there. The weigh-ins are different when Masvidal's there. The press conferences are different when Masvidal's there. The night feels different knowing that Masvidal's music is going to hit those speakers at some point. Not to mention in a live, right? I mean, Masvidal's special. There's something special there. But if it worked for him, what's it going to stop anywhere else? I mean, right, you guys see the dangers that we have seen within this sport. The dangers that we saw the night Masvidal and Leon got into it backstage. If Dana would have made that fight, Dana would have on accident told the rest of the roster, go punch somebody, go do something illegal, just make sure you got a buddy with an iPhone filming it and we'll get you into a main event, right? You see why Dick could not make that fight. It's a very similar situation as to what John Jones did. John Jones put Dana in a, Dana wanted John Jones. Dana wanted John against Francis. Dana wanted John for the title. Dana wanted John for the main event. Dana wanted John to get participated, get a big fat check. When John did this publicly, the position he put Dana in is either I can show and reward and have to deal with this in the future from every other fighter, or I can show a respect for guys who are willing to do this, who get to do this, and who want to do this. This is where the message always gets lost, and I'm not clear where this whole thing's going to fall. I'm not clear where it's going to play out. If you are a promoter, you have a job, and you've got to make fights. So there's certain things that you have to put up with because you got, you're against the clock. You've already promised your distribution partners. You've already promised, in this case, ESPN. You've already promised the audience. You've already promised a live ticket holder. So if somebody starts to get squirrely on you and they think they've got all the time in the world, they do have a little bit of upper hand because you don't. You're going to be at that finish line. You're going to be at the start of the race. You're going to be at the finish of the race on time every time. Do you want to work with people that see it that way? Or do you want to work with the guys that stay active and stay busy? I was very curious, and I kept my mouth shut, but as an outsider, I was very curious how Dana was going to haunt, handle this John situation. Because of the example and the precedent that would have been set, it could have brought this industry to a screeching halt. If Dana White would have given in to John Jones's public demands, it could have brought our entire sport to a screeching halt. Are you guys aware of the deal-making process in the judicial system, right? Big example here, but one that you'll be able to relate to. You'll always hear, so-and-so made a deal, or so-and-so is going to plea. Our entire judicial system is built around deal-making. Because there's too many people that have been charged with too few of judges, too few of courtrooms. We just simply can't hold a trial for all of them. We simply can't sequester a jury. We must, it's all predicated on timeliness of deal making, which is done for expediency. But we've got to have that in this realm too. There has to be guys that are willing, who get to, who want to do this, that get want the opportunity first. Dana came out, he was speaking at 170 pounds, and he said that if if Usman is to defend, meaning he beats Masvidal making the series 2-0 Usman, that they will then go to Colby. Colby is not subject to this. You guys have a short-term memory, because I've heard many people say this. For many people say, well, Colby's done the same thing that Usman did, and Colby has held out. Guys, that isn't true. That's, that's factually incorrect. 
you're forgetting that Colby fought T-Wood. That was one of those... I have read more articles. I don't know who got that wrong. But you are forgetting that. Colby is not set out. I just read a headline on one of the dirt sheets that I go to. That Covington's last fight was against uh, Usman. Excuse me, that's not true. Colby has fought since then. By the way, he fought in a main event since then. By the way, he fought a world champion since then. It's very off-putting to me that I have to remind you of that. Colby has been very clear that he wants to fight for the belt. No, Colby sees it the way I do, which is 170 pound has two belts. You've got the undisputed champion, but you also have the BMF champion. Those are belts. Those matter. Those matter to the guys. The guys that are willing to put their lives on hold and sacrifice within this sport have a vision. They got two belts. Double the opportunity at 170. Colby's last fight was not against Usman. His last fight was against a former world champion, and he won. And Dana has now come out and said that, yes, he would make the rematch between Kumar and Colby. Perfect. Perfect. I do believe that if Masvidal wins, that's still the match to make. And the one difference would be if Kumar Usman stubs his toe this weekend and Masvidal takes his belt from I think that it's all fair to also have the conversation of making part three and giving Usman the same opportunity that he's already given Masvidal twice. I'll adhere to that. I don't have a tremendous problem with it. I do have a problem with the story not being told correctly, and I do feel that when I'm reading headlines that Kobe Covington hasn't fought since Kamar Usman. Shame on you. What happened to T-Wood? All right, guys, that's it for today's show. Thank you for joining. Remember, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, and you can also leave us a review, good or bad, over on Apple Podcasts. It's a huge week for MMA. And I will be back on Friday to talk all about it. But until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24.